it's your girl Nadira. Welcome back to the same place where we talk about the same thing. And what is that? You know what it is. Sports. Yes, we are going to talk about week 16 takeaways, movement in the NBA. We're going to talk about the MLB lockout. And oh yeah, somebody got fired. So uh, let's start the show. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clutch Sports Podcast with Nadira, the show that digs into and unpacks everything that's happening in sports. So for people who love sports, let's go. Let's get the show started. It's time for We See You, our athlete spotlight. Let's go. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. I hope everybody enjoy food, family, and fun. Let's jump into this episode. We have a lot to talk about, a lot to do. We have to unpack everything. So, Topping off each episode, we start off with our athlete spotlight segment. We see you. And it's typically where we, you know, give a shout out to athletes who are giving back to the community um, off the court and off the field. This particular week, I'm just going to give a general shout out to everyone who showed up for the holiday season. We had DeAndre Ayton out in Phoenix, Kendra Perkins out in Texas, and the Currys out in Oakland. All three of these different um, players, um, excuse me, and wives, um, took a step back from themselves and said, you know what, there are families in need, there are children who want gifts, there are people who just in general don't have much for the holidays, and let's see what we can do to give back. And so all three of these um, athletes decided to stop with their normal Uh, businesses during the holiday and show up for these children, show up for these communities, for people who actually needed things. We're talking about gifts. We're talking about 12 days of Christmas with the Currys and they had their eat, play and learn sessions with the children. You had DeAndre Ayton who gave out many different gifts and donations out in Phoenix. And then of course, Kendrick Perkins, who was from Southeast Texas, donated gifts based on his ask from social media so shout out to everyone that I mentioned and who I may not have who gave back this holiday season we see you and keep it up we're diving into the hot spot for the latest news rumors and updates let's see what's up y'all it's time for the hot spot yes we are going to get into news rumors and whatever else is going on wherever else let's start with the christmas gifts that who 
Yes, y'all, Baker Mayfield gifted to the Green Bay Packers. Baker Mayfield was the gift that kept on giving for the Packers. Now, back from the COVID-19 list, on the private jet into Green Bay, the Browns quarterback arrived for the Christmas Day showdown. But by halftime, Mayfield stacked up three interceptions. Yes, three before going into halftime. With the game-winning field goal looming, Mayfield decides to gift the Packers with what? Yes, a fourth interception. Now let's take a little bit look closer look. Rodgers turned the first three interceptions in the touchdowns as the Packers take the W on Christmas Day. Now Rodgers in that game also broke Favre's franchise record with 443 touchdown passes, but the show didn't stop there. Devontae Adams had five catches with one touchdown, but the show stopper, in my opinion, was Nick Chubbs. That's right, Green Bay's offense was no match for Chubbs with 219 rushing yards. The Green Bay's offense went nowhere at all and had no answers. That alone, though, wasn't enough to stop the Packers, who won the game 24-22. Now, the Packers will face Minnesota next Sunday, but here's my thought. It's almost impossible to win a game negative four turnovers. Not to mention the failed play call by Stefanski on the last drive. Now, the Browns dropped to seven and eight, dropping in a crowded, a very crowded AFC North. And with two games left, they will hold out hope for a slim, a very slim chance at the playoffs. And as you guys know, yes, I say it all the time, every episode, I am a Cleveland girl. However, Mayfield and Stefanski both need to boil up some warm cups of hot chocolate and sit and discuss their futures in the NFL because as of right now the term freaking frack don't even apply to both of these knuckleheads who continuously embarrass every Cleveland Browns fan that's in existence none more than myself why because I live and breathe and bleed brown and orange yes Mayfield needs to watch the helicopters that he's seeing out on the field and unicorns and stars and whatever else he's seeing because he definitely is not seeing wide receivers. He's definitely not seeing routes. He's definitely not seeing anything that's going to get us where we need to be. Let's move along and head over to the Raiders. Yes, the Raiders are still in this thing. They gutted out. Uh, one against the Broncos to stay in the wild card race. Now, if they get to the playoffs, Rich Bachea or De- Derek Carr deserve statues outside of the stadium. Raiders face the Colts next Sunday. Now, the Texans don't just compete. They went out and just basically steamrolled the Chargers, running for 189, making Justin Herbert uncomfortable all afternoon and really just outclassing the Chargers. Again, put David Culley 
in the Coach of the Year discussion for winning four games, equaling last year's total for the Texans with the worst NFL rosters. Now, let's jump over here to Philly, to those birds. The Eagles have had enough of the nonsense. Now, after a slow and sloppy start against a Giants team that upset them a few weeks ago, Philly went into halftime tied 3-3, but put together a four-straight scoring drive, three of them touchdowns, then got a pick-six score, 31 unanswered points to open the second half. Now, the Jets win twice. The victory over the Jaguars under acting head coach Ron Middleton He's on board. That was followed by the good news of the Seahawks who owe the Jets their first round pick as part of a regrettable Jamal Adams trade. Gacking one away against the Nick Foles-led Bears. Seattle pick is currently seventh overall. Now, J.C. Jackson's departure from the AFC East. He's a very good player who's going to get paid by someone in this offseason. And many good men have been victimized by the Stefan Diggs-Josh Allen combination, but Jackson cannot keep subjecting himself to Diggs and Allens twice a year. Along with getting toasted by Diggs on the second quarter touchdown, Jackson had three chances to end build the Bills' eventual game-clinching drive. He dropped an interception on an Allen Diggs miscommunication, later failed to get Allen on the ground on a fourth and inches. And then there was this key third down missed tackle, followed by the utter destruction at the hands of Deion Dawkins. And that pretty much encapsulated his afternoon. NFL tweeted, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are out here playing backyard football. My Lord. Now, all this time, we thought it was Big Ben and the offense. But all along, it was actually this Steelers defense and also Ben Roethlisberger and the offense. Defensively, though, the Steelers are shockingly and uncharacteristically lacking physicality. All of those. They are having a historically bad year defending the run and more often than not, they just simply don't tackle people. They just don't. The Steelers' first-half offense, they haven't scored a first-half touchdown in five straight games. Deontay Johnson forgets he's carrying a football. He's a really good young receiver, but damn, holy cow. The Josh Johnson Ravens. Johnson was actually pretty good. Many of his 304 passing yards came when the game was already out of reach, but 304 is 304. But Baltimore's shorthanded defense and lack of run game basically meant Johnson was going to have to go shot for shot with, again, legitimate MVP candidate Joe Burrow, and that wasn't going to happen. So it was a lot of stuff going on in the NFL Week 16. Ooh, the AFC, the AFC, my 
goodness. I mean, let's just talk specifically about the AFC North. It is crowded. It is very busy in the AFC North. Would love to see what happens in that particular conference. Now, let's talk about some power rankings over here. Leaders in the AFC, you got the Bills and the Patriots. They're tied up. They tangled up up there at the top. You got the Chiefs who clinched the AFC West, the Bengals and the Titans hopping over into the NFC. You got the Cowboys who clinched the NFC East, the Rams, the Packers who clinched the NFC North, the Bucks who already clinched the NFC South. And then, of course, you got these wild cards, the Rams and the Cardinals. So lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of stuff happening in the NFL. Can't wait to see what's going to happen in week 17. It's going to be some shakeup. It's going to be some movement and some upsets. And, yeah, we'll see what's going on with that. Let's jump over into the NBA and see what's happening there. We have the NBA Power Rankings. The Warriors regain the top spot and the Lakers continue to fall. Golden State made a strong statement against Phoenix on Christmas while a five-game skit had thrust the Lakers into temporary limbo. It feels impossible to make sense of the NBA right now, much less keep track of which players are on which team and who's in health and safety and protocols and whatever else is going on. Well, I'm pretty much sure that if you're thinking the way that I'm thinking that you're on to something. So let's break it down anyway. The strange Morris that is the standings are not the whole story, not in a season like this. So... Golden State Warriors with their current record of 27 and 6. Beating the full strength Suns on the road for Christmas was a strong statement from the Warriors who should get Klay Thompson back in January. Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, and Andrew Wiggins are currently in COVID-19 protocols, but Golden State hasn't been this enjoyable in some time, and their ongoing quest for another title is approaching must watch territory now the phoenix suns whose current record is 26 and 6 remains a very real foil for golden state and whoever else and has four starters healthy during this key stretch of mid-season games if you could guarantee seven playoff games between the suns and the warriors right now you take that deal right yeah i think you would let's go over here to utah utah jazz with the current record of 23 and 9 Hmm, it's just the Jazz winning 11 of their last 13. Utah hasn't been as dominant defensively as in years past, but boasts the league's top offense by a strong margin at this juncture. They're deep, experienced, and entering Sunday, and nobody in COVID protocol can't ask for more than that. The Milwaukee Bucks, whose record is 22 and 13, Giannis made his return to lead a Christmas Day win over the Celtics, which the Bucks will hope is a good omen. Whether or not your superstitious Milwaukee's next five games are against the Magic twice, the Pelicans, the Pistons, and the Raptors, so yeah. 
We'll see what's going on with that. Chicago Bulls current record is 20 and 10. The Bulls lost head coach Billy Donovan to a health and safety protocol on Friday with Lonzo Ball right behind him. Now still now mostly healthy. They should have a chance to catch a rhythm with a couple of weeks of very winnable games ahead. Chicago has more to prove as far as contention goes, but clearly this is stable short-term recipe. Those Brooklyn boys, the Brooklyn Nets, their current record is 22-9. The ultra-short-handed Nets benefited from three-game postponements and may not miss much of a beat. James Harden is out of COVID protocol, and Kevin Durant should be back sooner than later, and Kyrie Irving should eventually return. What it looks like with everyone back on the field is the spicy part. So, yes, once they get on the, on the court, I think it might get a little spicy. Let's talk about my Cleveland Cavaliers, y'all, whose record is 20 and 13. The Cavs have forcefully flipped their own script this season. Yes, we done flipped the script, although winning with neither Jared Allen nor Evan Mobley in the lineup may provide a bit difficult. Kobe Altman deserves a lot of credit for fixing a situation many people had written off before the season started, and J.B. Bickerstaff's new contract extension reflects that. Let's go down here to Memphis. That record is 20-14. and 14. Formerly red-hot Memphis has struggled a bit since John Morant returned to the lineup last week. Should they be worried? No, we probably shouldn't be going down to Miami. The Heat's record 21-13. and 13. Losing Kyle Lowry to COVID protocol is a big blow, but Jimmy Butler returned on Sunday to make life a little bit easier. At this point, I trust pretty much whoever the Heat decide to roll out there. Max Struss was one of the favorite undrafted sleepers in 2019, but nobody would have predicted Type of tears he tear he's on. Denver Nuggets. Their record is 16 and 16. It remains hard to say if the Nuggets are underachieving or overachieving at any given time. They deserve some sympathy with Jamal Murray still out and Michael Porter Jr. potentially done for the season, but they're still blowing winnable opportunities and they still have Nikola Jokic. January is crucial as Denver's next 13 games comes against Western Conference opponents. If the Nuggets can get Murray back in the second half of the season, maybe the calculus changes. Who knows? Talk about the Wizards. Current record is 17 and 16. Their previous ranking was 16. Bradley Beal entered the health and safety protocol at a terrible time for the Wizards, who spent much of December backsliding towards 500, but continued to hang around the playing cut line. On the bright side, recent first-round draftees Denny Advija and Corey Kispert may be stepping up to help. So interesting to see exactly what's going on around the NBA. Charlotte Hornets, whose record is 17 and 17, the Hornets' attractive brand of basketball hasn't been accompanied by much winning this month. And Miles Bridges and PJ Washington just entered protocol, which makes life a bit more difficult. Now, well, let me stop there, but at least the franchise still has LaMelo Ball. Now, let me just stop for a second. 
because every single player on every single team is in some type of COVID protocol. Every last one of them is in COVID protocol. And it's interesting because I feel that the playoff push feels like a battle of just who's healthy and who's not. I mean, if you take a look at Atlanta Hawks, right? The Hawks, 15 and 17. After losing the Knicks to the Knicks on Christmas, the Hawks lost John Collins to health and safety protocol and are still without Trey Young for a bit longer. Again, the playoff push feels like a battle. Now, which part of the seven-game November win streak hasn't been particularly good for the Atlanta Hawks? Don't know. But what I do know is, is the NBA, the NFL, and now we have the NCAA bowl games are being stopped, postponed, rescheduled, whatever, due to COVID's third, fourth, fifth world tour. Lots going on. Lots and lots and lots going on. It's been some talk about the L.A. Lakers. Gossip, rumors, lots of other things. But with a record of 16 and 18, Anthony Davis is out for a while. And a five-game skit has thrust the Lakers into temporary limbo. There's not much more LeBron can do right now. Russell Westbrook isn't who he once was reinforcements likely aren't coming and uh yeah it's not great it just really just isn't a great time right now let's talk about the mlb lots going on uh we got some people just scurrying over to japan right now Right now, the uh, Major League Baseball free agents are signing in Japan and South Korea during the lockout, which bigger names will follow. Now, if you don't remember, back in 1987, with Major League Baseball owners colluding against the players to suppress salaries, Bob Horner took matters into his own hands. Horner, a former All-Star and Rookie of the Year recipient at homered 54 times and posted up 121 OPS for the Atlanta Braves in 1985 and 1986 seasons, making it all the more jarring when he agreed to a one-year contract with the Yakult Swallows. The Swallows, part of Japan's Nippon Professional Baseball League, were willing to do what no MLB club would deem itself to do pay Horner what he believed he was worth for nearly two million dollars. Now the holiday weekend alone saw third baseman Rio Ruiz, a veteran part of six big league seasons, and Chris Gittens, who appeared in 16 games with the New York Yankees, signed with the Asian League teams. They join a growing list of departees that include Yasiel Puig, Freddie Galvis, and Ivan Nova, and so on. Former Pirates top prospective Greg Palanto was also reportedly close to a deal in Japan. It's enough to make a casual observer wonder, is there an exodus underway? And could even bigger names flock overseas if the MLB's lockout 
eventually continues. And I would guess that the profiles of the bigger names generally aren't profiles that are valued here as much as they used to be who have signed overseas. And I'm not sure of what to make of the Palancio signing. So it's just a lot going on in the MLB right now. I mean, it's worth noting that not all fringe types see Asia as the destination. According to what multiple sources told CBS Sports, a Houston Astros player towards the bottom of their 40-man roster was nearing an agreement to play overseas before asking his front office to stop to shop him around other MLB teams. The Astros didn't find a taker ahead of the lockout, but the players still appear to opt against proceeding with any moves across the ocean. One thing that's for certain is that no player leaving for MPB or KBO this winter is taking the same risk Horner did when he signed with the Swallows. Enough players have returned to the MLB with improved stocks after stints overseas, be it Nick Martinez, Josh Lindbaum, Eric Thames, to view it as viable route to payday. The amount of information that the teams are getting on players overseas is as vast as it's ever been, the agency source says. It's pretty easy for a guy to bet on his stuff and go to Japan or wherever and double the amount of money they were offered stateside in the season. So, you know, it's a lot going on there in the Major League Baseball. (laughs) I mean, you can't stop these players from jetting off. That's that's the first thing. You can't stop that at all. But at the same time, the players and the organizations and these owners need to come together and sit down and have a conversation about these salaries. No shocker, MLB has the best contracts, best salaries, but something else is wrong. And right now, we don't know if you have major, major, major players that are going to bounce and go overseas to the Asian League and the Chinese League. So we'll see exactly what's going on over there. And that will do it for our segment of The Hot Spot. It's about to heat up. It's time for all the smoke. Let's get into these debates. the hot hand myth in basketball whether it be NBA whether it be NCAA we are going to dig into and talk about this hot hand myth y'all so typically when we talk about the hot hand it is significant to identify a player that is on a hot streak on the court Um, but the hot hand describes the belief that the performance of an athlete 
typically a basketball player temporarily improves following a string of successes. Now, although some earlier research failed to detect a hot hand, these studies often are criticized for using inappropriate settings and measures. And the present day study was designed with these criticisms in mind. And it offers new evidence in a unique setting, the NBA Long Distance Shootout Contest, and it uses various measures. Let's jump into those. So one measure is traditional sequential dependency run analysis, individual level analysis, and analysis of spontaneous outbursts by contest announcers about players who are on fire. Now I'm going to stop there. On fire reminds me of NBA Jam. Yes, you remember when you would just break all the way down the court and you hit that three or that two, three times in a row and announced were both, you're on fire, boom, and you were hot for the next couple, next couple of plays. Well, this has failed to reveal evidence of a hot hand. That on fire has failed to reveal any type of literature or any type of proof that the hot hand really exists. Now, we conclude that the declarations of the hotness in basketball are best viewed as historical commentary rather than prophecy about future performance. Now, I'm going to say in 100% fan of basketball. I believe in the hot hand, guys. Yes, please don't take that away from my mental, you know, is it's a difference. I understand the, you know, the, the studies and the analysis, but as a fan of the sport, you want to believe that that myth is true. So I had some people call in and give me their uh, opinions and left me messages. And Sam says that everything is figure out a bowl. That is a very strong word, Sam. But no one has figured out about the hot hand so as a fan i'm going to ride that wave now we're going to jump over here and i believe this is ezekiel who says the hot hand is bullshit it's no more than just fans looking for another reason to have a player on a hot streak now we jump over here to i believe this is eric and eric says the studies are fake no one has really taken the time to actually dig in and analyze the hot hand. I'm going to leave it as the player's hot. And all of the fans will believe and continue to believe that the hot hand exists. And finally, we have someone here named Andrew who says, bullshit or not, I just simply like the game of basketball. Hot or cold, I'm there for it all. So, you know, guys, for me, you know, I am a fan of of the sport like I said before and no I don't want all of the literature and analysis to take away from the fun of it yes is there some you know evidence-based studies that show that it is you know physiologically impossible for a player to actually have that effect believe it you know the sports science brain in me believes that but you can't tell me that when you see curry on a run and he's hitting those threes back to back to back to back you can't tell me that you're looking at his hand wrist elbow and shoulder and the velocity that it gets him up as a fan doesn't get you excited 
when you wait for that ball to hit the bottom of the net. So in my opinion, as a fan, I am going to ride the wave of the hot hand. You guys, I still have messages coming through. So if you would like to jump in, still we can continue this into the next episode. But the hot hand, yeah, I, I'm I'm just not buying the, the data right now. I'm just going to stay on the fan side of it and say, I believe it. So we'll jump into this on the next episode and to our next segment of All The Smoke. And you know what to do. Leave me a message if you have something to say. If you want to talk about something or bring a topic that you would like for me to put in the queue for discussion, we could do that too. All right, y'all. Peace. Let's wrap it up. It's time for Say What You Mean. Let's get it. All right. It is time for my favorite segment, and that is Say What You Mean. And today, I have a lot to say. Something that has bothered me, I would say, for the past year and a half. And that is the complete abomination that is professional boxing or lack thereof. And what I mean is the celebrity boxing. I feel very strongly that the celebrity boxing, it blurred the lines between sports and entertainment. Now, if you dig into the history, boxing is complete with flamboyant personalities. Champions such as Ali and Tyson galvanized fans with their blend of skill and showmanship. However, an emerging trend has taken the world of combat sports by storm. Over the past year, numerous pop culture and media personalities have tried their hand at boxing. Among the contestants, no one has made more noise in the ring than YouTube sensations, yes, Jake Paul and his brother Logan Paul. Having mastered the art of self-promotion, the Paul brothers have parlayed their over-the-top personas into the boxing fortune. While boasting millions of subscribers on YouTube, the duo has transcended online success. With minor acting and rapping, quote-unquote, endeavors to their credit, few would have predicted Jake or Logan Paul to become marketable athletes. Athletes, athletes, I use that word loosely. But the Pauls regularly appear on major sporting outlets and have become bona fide boxing stars despite owning novice credentials. Now, back in April, Jake Paul competed in a pay-per-view boxing match against former UFC fighter Ben Askren. Although accomplished, although an accomplished wrestler, Askren possessed no boxing experience and had recently undergone hip surgery. For his part, Jake Paul had just two professional matches against non-boxers, yet the public was unconcerned with the men's background and paid top dollar to see the fight. Now, the New York Post reported that Jake Paul's first round win over Askren generated one and a half million 
pay-per-view buys worth an estimated 75 million. Disgusting. Considering that neither man is an actual boxer, the payout for their bout was major. It was extraordinary. Not to be outdone by his brother, Logan Paul was scheduled to face the undefeated boxing legend, yes, Floyd Mayweather, back in June. The pay-per-view extravaganza took me over the edge. Pissed me off. Logan Paul's career record stands at zero wins with one loss, while Mayweather's resume includes 50 wins and no losses. Why is that even comparable data? To make matters more bizarre, Logan Paul is 18 years younger than Mayweather and outweighs him by 30 pounds. Now, purists contend that celebrity matches are more akin to professional wrestling than boxing. This is a circus atmosphere, you guys, created by these events. And I blame boxing fans for supporting the charade of bullshit. Now, in some instances, people will argue that they are right because it's a buyer beware world. And if audiences are willing to pay for these spectacles, then it's hard to argue with them. They want the money. They want the dollar. They want the bag. If they want to pay it, then we'll put the bullshit on. The rise of celebrity boxing has blurred the line between sports and entertainment. And where do things go from here? It's unclear. But one thing is for certain, that the Paul brothers will continue fighting provided there is money to be made and you can damn sure bank on that because people have no idea what boxing is all about. I grew up watching, you know, Ali and Foreman and Tyson and many, many others that were prominent um, back in the day. You had to study boxing. You had to train. You had to watch film. You had to get up at 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning and get out in the cold and jog. But what do they do? They simply are chasing money with no respect for boxing. It's all about the money. It's all about the bag. It's all about who can actually make more money and have more fans. It's no longer about the sport. It's no longer about, you know, like the Tyson Furies. Okay. Well, what's happening when you can have two YouTube brothers that can come in and fight WBA and IBF and WBO heavyweight champions and make them look like flaming assholes in the ring for a couple million dollars. It's disgusting. It takes the word champion and gives it another meaning. It waters it down to nothing. It makes the sport of boxing look and feel like a joke. 
Muhammad Ali would be turning over in his grave right now. If he knew what has been allowed in boxing. And for the list of current boxing champions who have not taken a step into the ring with these two gentlemen, don't. Keep the profession as it should. Training. Hard work. Weigh-ins. Simulations. Videos. Film. Everything that you know. Your trainer yelling at you in your face. Getting beat up in a sparring match. Taking the L on some of those bouts taking it on the chin like a man and go home. Nursing those cuts. Walking away in front of an audience where you practice and you train for this sport. Not because you ran around uh, a park uh, just so that you could keep up with two YouTubers who have no athletic ability and I wish that the media would stop calling Jake and his brother Logan Athletes, they are not. They are celebrity entertainers who simply need to go back to being YouTubers and entertaining that audience and simply just leave professional boxing alone. And for those who are buying into the bullshit, shame on you. That is it, you guys, for this week's episode of Clutch Sports. I am your host, Nadira. Join me next week and every week, the same time at the same place where we talk about the same thing. Two fingers and a thumb, y'all. Peace.